Hey, this is Ed Luther, pastor of City Church in Australia. I hope that today's podcast really inspires you. Thank you so much for listening. I am so excited because we are, I think it's in part five. I, I lose track, but we've had some guest speakers as well that have followed on to our series called Learning to Love. Now, you wouldn't think that you had to learn how to love. You'd think that, well, love, love is a feeling. It just comes naturally. No, love is not a feeling, and it doesn't come naturally. We'll find uh, this morning as we talk about this that love is intentional. Love is very much uh, uh, purposeful. And, and I want us to learn one aspect of love this morning. We're, we're, we're covering a big, I mean, a massive uh, area of learning to love this morning, but it's learning to love God. You think learning to love God? It's amazing how many people don't know how to love God. And I think part of that reason is because the Bible says this, it says, nobody's seen God at any time, but the son, he's declared him. Yet God is a person and it's hard sometimes to love a person that you can't see. It's pretty, uh, like, it's, it's really hard. And, and so the question that we're going to answer is, how, how do you love God? God has everything. He's all in all. He made everything. There's nothing incomplete in him at all. And one of the challenges uh, of loving God, the God that you can't see, is what do you give a God that has everything? I don't know if you've <laughs> ever been to somebody's birthday party or maybe it's a wedding or a special occasion but uh, you're trying to pick out a gift the trouble is the person whose birthday it is is like filthy rich they got everything it's like what are you going to get up uh, I've been in that predicament before where we've gone to somebody's birthday it's like you know just give them money well how much money are you going to give them really you know if they're multi multi millionaires or something like that it's like yeah, we'll put 50 bucks in the, in the card. N not really. I don't think that's going to be, you know, honoring them in that way. Well, it's the heart that matters. I know that, but practically speaking, the $50 is like, okay, means a lot to some, but not that much to others. What do you give God who's got everything? And what does it mean when you say, I love you to God? And we're going to unpack that this morning, and we're going to look at how how do you love God? The Bible says this. It says that God is love. It says that in several places in Scripture. Not God is loving or he's a loving person or he, he loves, but he, in essence, is love. And that raises another challenge because we could very much put in this, uh, how do you love love? Because God is love, how, how do you love love? It's like, how do you light light? How, how do you make the brightest light ever brighter? You, you, you can't. You can only take away from it. You, you can't give into it. How, how, do you, how do you heat heat? I mean, if it's as hot as it's going to get and, and you add your heat to it, you're going to have to be as hot as the heat that you're trying to heat up or you're not going to do anything to it. And how do you love love? You see, God is so pure that anything we could even think that we're going to add to that is only going to bring our impurity into the equation. And looking at how to love God or how to love love 
is, is something that I, I, I really grapple with it because I think about people that I love to be around. And generally speaking, they're people that are good listeners. Uh, I'd, I'd say if you're honest, you'd probably say the same thing. Like somebody that's attractive, they're attractive because they don't talk a lot. Or, you know, you ask them, some people, how, how you going? Or, or uh, you know, and you get a whole, you want to know how they're going, don't get me wrong, but you don't want the expanded Encyclopedia Britannica version of it. Or, or even worse, they'll say, how, how are you going? And then before you can say much, they're telling you how they're going and, and all about how they're going. But I thought you asked how I was going, and now you're telling me how, how you're going. Well, with God, God is such a, an awesome listener that sometimes, if you're like me, the frustration is, why don't you talk to me? <laughs> you know, you are the ultimate listener, but you, are, you don't say a whole lot, God. And I've been frustrated many times over my, my Christian life, especially early when I didn't understand how God speaks, which is a whole other subject, that if God was in the room, I'd probably try to tackle him. I was so frustrated and so angry. Why don't you just speak to me? Tell me! He's a great listener. That's one of the essence of loving people, is to listen to people. And because he loves us, and there's no doubt about it, we've been singing about that. We've had a great worship service already here uh, at City Church. And we're, you know, we're singing out to God. We're, you know, if you're like me, it's just like I'm belting it out. It's like I got to back off here because I still got to preach and I still need a voice. But I'm like going for it. Like there's no holding back when it comes to, you know, telling God how much I love him. There's no holding back to even with sermons about how much God loves you, which this isn't. And this is a hard one to preach. I'm going to be totally honest with you because it wouldn't be on the bestsellers list if I turned this into a book. It would definitely not be, you know, everybody wouldn't rush out to Karang to buy it or wherever, order it through Amazon or something. It, it's not that kind of a message that's going to be popular because I'm not telling us today how much God loves us. We know that. We hear a lot about that. I've preached a lot about that. and I'll continue to do that. But this morning is all about learning to love God. Now, my wife loves chocolate, and she loves ice cream, but she hates bananas. So if somebody was going to poison her, not that they would, it wouldn't kill her, but she, she detests bananas. I, I think I'm right about that. Uh, I'll, I'll often make a smoothie up, and it's like I'll put a banana in it just to make it sweet. And I just know, don't even offer it to her, because she wouldn't even, it wouldn't even come close to her nose, and she would just go, no, no, thank you. But it's beautiful, but it's got bananas in it. And she gets ill with the bananas, even though thought that I'm talking about bananas right now is probably causing her stomach to do somersaults. She's not happy. Bananas, don't, but chocolate, that's another story. Some of you are coffee connoisseurs. You love coffee. How, how, do, how does somebody know that you love whatever it is that you love? Well, you talk about it a lot, that's for sure. <laughs> and, and if it's chocolate, you eat chocolate. You know about lints and Cadbury chocolate and that Hershey's tastes like plastic. Sorry, viewers from America, uh, but it's not really the best chocolate. I think you know that by now if you've traveled, you know, go to Belgium, 
go to Swiss, you'll have some real chocolate. Uh, Hershey's, nah, not quite. Uh, there's coffee and there's coffee. Don't give me, I'm not a coffee connoisseur, but don't give me instant coffee, thank you. Ugh, I don't like it. But, uh, but for somebody that really loves coffee, they like it even less than what I like it. And one way to discover what God loves is to look at what God hates. And so we're going to go to a, a passage of scripture this morning. It's in uh, Proverbs chapter 6. And we're going to go through these. These are seven things that God says that he hates. In fact, he even goes a bit further with this. Uh, this isn't just a, a hate thing. These things are detestable to him. And, and detestable is worse than bananas to Gail. In uh, Proverbs 6 and 16, says there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. So again, one way to discover what God loves is let, let's just look at what he hates. And, and I believe if we look at the opposite of what God hates, that we can discover how to love God, which is what we're trying to do, to learn to love God this morning. And so it says these six things the Lord hates. Seven, he has a seventh one there, are detestable to him. Look at them. Verse 17. Number one, haughty eyes. We'll, we'll unpack this a bit so you'll get this. A lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Four, a heart that devises wicked schemes. Five, feet that are quick to rush into evil. Number six, a false witness who pours out lies. Seven, this is the detestable a person who stirs up conflict in the community. What would you say if your child came home and said, oh, I've got some friends that I want to hang out with. Well, tell me a little bit about your friends, because as parents, we're, we're selective on who our little darlings become friends with. Yeah, well, you know, they've got haughty eyes, Okay, I don't know, you know what that means, but they like to lie a lot. <laughs> we're busy dreaming up schemes to do evil. <laughs> you know, we're, we're the troublemakers at school. They, they, they like to get in trouble. My friend's always out in the hallway, always causing trouble. The teachers don't like him very much at all. What would you say if your little darling grew up and brought home Prince Charming and you got to know Prince Charming, you looked at him, and you know, there's something about his eyes, like, uh, it's not the blue color or the, you know, it's something about pride is in the way that he looks. My little princess. And on top of that, you have a conversation, and it doesn't take you long in the conversation, because you're a good dad and a good mom, that you realize that everything the guy's telling you is full of lies. What, if, what would you say to that kind of a person? What would you say to somebody that was trying to build a community like God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven? If the community had those seven attributes in it, would you be keen to join it? Would you be happy with the result? And let's even go further. How much does God value his family, 
his sons and his daughters to let that kind of a person among the foe. And worse, what does it mean to say that you love God and be that kind of person? When we say that we love God, it's uh, where I come from, there's a saying, it's talk is cheap. Talk, talk is the cheapest commodity. Somebody said concerning lawyers, and I, I'm not picking on lawyers, but they said, how, how do you know a, a lawyer's lying? Well, they're talking, or even worse, they're breathing. Uh, I don't agree with that, by the way. I think there's some great lawyers out there, and they've used that joke about other people as well. But, but, but talk is the cheapest commodity that there is. So to throw our hands in the air and sing about how much we love God and what we're really saying, if we're honest with a lot of us, it's we love how much God's done for me. Even when we pray, we're talking to God, but, but what's the talk? Generally, it's either whinging, that's complaining, or, or it's asking God for something for me. I love you God so much, you know. By the way, <laughs> here we go. That's not wrong to pray and ask God for things because he says, please ask me. But let's not confuse that with loving God. So what is it then and how is it that we actually love God? When we say uh, that, that we're, we love God, what are we really saying? In fact, that commandment which we talked about, I preached the whole message on that, that God commands us to love him. What exactly is God commanding us to do? And, and until we find that out, we really can't love God like he wants us to love him and fulfill that commandment. Could God love us and us behave like that? Well, he does, but he's not going to tolerate that forever. Could you love God and behave like this, these seven things? I think not. God is a forgiving God, but he does expect us to repent and to change. So it's a very, this morning's message, seriously, I know it's going to cut deep. I know it's going to challenge. And I often don't want to preach these kind of messages, but I believe it's important that we know how to love God. I'll tell you one of the reasons why it's important is because we want to do things with other churches so that uh, there is unity in the body. And uh, uh, we had a guest speaker from another church last week, and we're doing a whole week uh, seminar as we lead up to Pentecost, just a, a week full of meetings or three nights. Uh, we called it Equip Practical Pentecost, where our congregations will, will, will be together, we'll, our music teams will, you know, fill the platform together, and we'll swap pulpits, and we'll, we'll do all kinds of nice things that people go, well, it's about time that the church has got together in unity. I agree. So why don't we do more of it? Probably because there's people like these seven things that get in the way and, and, and sabotage the whole thing. So I'm really uh, preaching this message this morning with an agenda. That agenda is for us to just grow up. That agenda is for us to uh, be to a place where when we say we love God, we really do love God according to God's definition uh, of loving God. See, Jesus is coming back. And, and I don't know when. Uh, you know, nobody knows when. Not even, he just says the Father knows. Uh, hasn't told me yet. He's coming back. But what he's coming back for is not some bride that has these seven attributes. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle. A beautiful bride. He's coming back 
for a church that's walking in love that knows how to love him. That's who he's coming back. God is our father, and when we treat uh, his children this way, of course it's going to get him upset, uh, like any parent. You know, if you want to say that you love a parent, but you, but you hate their kids, something's missing there. Oh, I really love you, but I hate your bride, by the way. It kind of doesn't really flow in together. So God doesn't like it. When you love somebody, you love those who are dearest to them. And, uh, and that's like our spouse, our children, and God's family is dearest to him. So taking the opposite of these things, we'll just look at each one here, uh, some more briefly than others because of time. But uh, number one, haughty eyes. Haughty eyes is a haughty spirit. It's, it's, it's a prideful spirit. It's, it's the, the eyes are the, are the windows to the soul. If you've got pride, in, in fact, all of these, in essence, come back to the root cause of all of these things is pride. It's pride. It's just believing your own press. It's looking at your accomplishments. It's covering your, your track record. It's covering up everything about you that you don't want other people to see. And the opposite of that, as we'll see, is humility. God hates pride. But God loves it when you walk in humility. So what does pride do? It looks down on others. It thinks more highly than it ought. The Bible says, looks, looking down your nose at somebody. And, and again, pride is, is all, it's behind all sin. Listen to what James 4, 6 says. It says, but he gives more grace. That's God's unmerited favor, God's ability. This is the good news. He gives us more grace. That is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud. The person with howdy eyes, with a prideful spirit, but shows favor to who? To the humble. I'll just give you a few scriptures on this. There's so many. This is a big deal to God. Pride goes before destruction. Haven't we seen that before? Somebody, somebody, uh, you know, gets right up here. They're like a shooting star. And it's like, wow, they're the talk of the town. Everybody knows it's on the tip of everybody's tongue. Wow. And then, whoa, what happened? Pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit, that's haughty eyes, before a fall. Proverbs, that's Proverbs 6.18. Proverbs 11.2. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with humility comes wisdom. Isn't that good? God loves humility. When pride comes... Then comes disgrace, humility comes before wisdom, uh, Proverbs 18, 12. Before a downfall, the heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Another big word when it comes to humility. Proverbs 29, 23. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit, that's the humble, gain honor. Do I hear uh, often preached about John, and John wrote, a lot of what we're reading today because uh, he, he just had a handle on love and, and loving God. And, and one of the things that I hear uh, frequently, and I've, I've kind of joked about it as well, you know, is he called himself, he, in, in his letter, he, he said, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So he didn't, he didn't even use, you know, personal pronoun there. He didn't even, you know, use first person. He kind of deflected the whole thing. Even, even when he's running to the tomb, he's, you know, he and Peter are going to get to the tomb, and, 
and, and he says, you know, the, the disciple whom Jesus loves, uh, he got there first. And, and people tend to say, oh, it was a race, you know, and he's, he's just kind of bragging and all that. He, hear me on this. I'm not, you know, it's okay. People preach stuff. But hear me on this. He spent three and a half years with Jesus. I think he knew a little bit about humility. I'll even go further. I think that he knew these seven things in Proverbs chapter 6. He would have been able to quote this and a whole lot more scripture. If you meet John someday in heaven, you're going to meet not a guy that's full of himself. You're going to meet a guy that is so humble. You're going to meet somebody that knew how to love God. He would be able to preach this sermon like way better than this pastor's preaching it to you right now. He walked with Jesus, who being in the form of God in Philippians, uh, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But what did he do? He humbled himself even to the point of the cross. In John uh, 7, I think it is, John's writing about this foot washing. And, and Jesus goes, I'm Lord and I'm teacher, and you know that, but guess what? And he girds himself up, grabs a towel, and he washes their feet. They're objecting to that. They have not got it yet. That it's humility that, that God exalts. God exalts those who humble themselves, but, 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 but folly and, and, and destruction comes from those that, humble, uh, that, that, that are full of pride. The way up is the way down. You want to get up, go down. John would have known that. And, and John writes extensively, and so do the other disciples, uh, about humility. I remember once... Uh, I was a fairly new Christian. I went to Bible college in Tulsa, and um, you know I was uh, lifting weights back then, and, and younger, and you know enjoyed doing it, going to the gym, and everything. And, and I'd read a book by Arnold Schwarzenegger called uh, "Education of a Bodybuilder." And I, I'd look at this, and I'd say, "Man, look at those biceps! Like that is just massive." Anyway, this this pastor, this preacher, came to Tulsa. His name's Ray McCauley. And, and he was the third uh, uh, and he was the third contender for Mr. Universe. Arnold Schwarzenegger won Mr. Universe that year. I think it was 74. And Ray McCauley got number three. He was Mr. South Africa. And when I heard he was coming to this church to preach, I'm like, well, I'm going. <laughs> so I went there, heard him preach. And then I could not believe it, but he hung around afterwards. He's hanging around the front. It wasn't a big church. And I thought, well, people are going up and talking to him. I'm going to go up and say hi. And, and he had a suit on, a suit jacket. And honestly, it was like the sleeves were stretching, like bulging. I thought they were going to rip. You know, it's just massive. This massive man preached the word brilliantly. And, and I walked up to him and I said, oh, man, like, uh, so good to meet you. And I, I put my hand out to shake his hand. And I, and I thought, I'm going to give him just, this, this is like Mr. Universe third runner up. Like, this is the, like, he is massively strong. So I put my hand out there. I was just going to crush. I, I thought, I'm going to get my hand crushed, so I'm just going to give it everything I got. And I did that, and I squeezed as hard as I could. He had the softest, he was the most humble man. He had the softest handshake, honestly, Gail's handshake. You know, and, and, and I almost crushed his hand. And he pulled back, and he goes, what's wrong with you? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> he was so humble. 
Humble people are like that. They got the stuff, but they don't strut the stuff. I see people in churches winning arguments based on how much scripture they know. And, you know, toughest guy in our high school, you never knew it unless you picked on him. <laughs> then you find out really quickly as you're getting up off the floor. Uh, humility is different. So how do you love God? Number one, if you're taking notes, I'm just going to give you one statement with each of these. You love God by being humble. Love God by being humble. That's not weak. That's just teachable giving God the glory, not just mouthing it, but really walking in that. Number two, a lying tongue. The opposite of a lie is what? It's truth. God loves it when we walk in truth. The first sin in the Garden of Eden was a lie. And, and Satan lied to Eve, and he caused all of mankind to fall because of that. He's been lying ever since. You'll find that pride is, become, is behind all lies because telling a lie is meant to cover up your weaknesses. So pride says, I don't want anybody to see that I'm actually weak, that I've got faults or, or shortcomings in this area. Or, or, or pride is behind all lies because it makes the liar look better than they really are. There's no such thing as a, a little white lie. It's either truth or it's not truth. And, and covering it up to make us look better, it's always making somebody else look worse. God loves the truth. Why? Because God is truth. And if we're going to love God, then we have to walk in truth. We have to speak the truth in love. Jesus is faithful and true. You love God. This is a second statement. How do you love God? You love God by walking in truth. Now that's not just beating people up with the truth either. We're not talking about that. It's, it's just be integrous. Walk in truth. Your, your word is your bond. We bought something recently in uh, uh, this property and uh, you know the guy that I, that I bought it off, I dealt with him before and uh, we bought a house off him before. And when I saw he was selling this, it was, you know, it was amazing because I knew this guy. And it was like, we, we came to a price over the phone. And somebody else, in fact, several people made offers after that that were higher than the price that he and I agreed to over the phone. And he told me that. I could have sold this thing five times over. Uh, but you know what? Different people said, do you have a written contract? And he said, no. Well, then get out of it, for goodness sake. I'm offering you 10, 20 grand more than that. You know what he did? He honored it. He honored his verbal agreement with me. And, and there was no question mark. His integrity, his word was his bond. His bond was his word. This is not even a, a, a Christ follower yet. <laughs> How much more in the family of God should we be walking in truth? Number three, this one here is a little bit tricky because uh, you know we're, we're looking at you know wars in the world and all kinds of things. And, and it says this: it says, "Hands that shed innocent blood." Think about the sixth commandment: "Thou shalt not kill." It's actually "Thou shalt not murder." It's taking innocent blood. But Jesus says, if you're angry, if you are angry, unrighteous, angry about something. You've committed a murder in your heart. That's in Matthew 5. He, he said this, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, talking family now, in fact, this talk is really family talk, 
will be subject to judgment. Not the kind of place I want to be. God hates things that hurts people, and he loves things that bring life to people. So how do you love God on this one? You love God by bringing life. You bring life into desperate dead situations or dying situations or people that are hurting in the body of Christ. You don't add to that. You don't get angry, shed innocent blood. You bring life through forgiveness. You bring life. You love God by bringing life instead of death with your tongue because the power of life and death is in the tongue. And those that love it, the fruit of it, shall eat it thereof. I don't want the fruit of anger. I don't want to uh, be a murderer with my mouth. I want to love God. And the way to do that is not just to sing worship songs about how much you love Him, but it's to speak in the situations where you could bring death, you could bring, bring dissension, but to speak in the situations, even if the person is as guilty as sin, to bring life into that situation. You know, we could look at 1 Corinthians 13, but we won't go there. But, you know, love thinks the best of everything. It thinks the best of everyone. So when we get a bad report about somebody, which way do we go? Do we murder them with our mouth or do we bring life and healing with our words? How do you love God? You love God by bringing life. That was number three. Number four, we're going to fly. A heart that devises wicked schemes. Wicked schemes are premeditated plans uh, of evil. You think, well, I, I don't think I've ever done that one. I hope not, but you never know. Uh, it's to make a decision beforehand that something that you know is inherently wrong, that you go ahead and you plan that anyway. God loves it when we make plans to do good. See, God has given us what we would call free will. But I'm going to break this down because I, this is really important. If I don't get to the rest of the sermon, but I get this point, I think it's, it's really important. Free will is to exercise your will. To love God is, a, is exercising your will toward these things that we're unpacking right now. It's deliberate. And free will is when you deliberate. It's a deliberate decision. It's not accidental. Some people say, well, they deserve it, you know, free will. Well, there's a lot of, t a lot of people uh, on the face of the planet, and God's got that under control, believe me, because he's given us all a conscience, that have been influenced wrong. They're stuck in situations. It wasn't their free will that got them into the, se uh, the sex trade. It wasn't their free will that caused you know, them to be born uh, under a particular religion somewhere in the world. They don't have free will over that. They bow their knee and, and do everything to whatever God that is. But it's not free will. Free will is, is deliberate. Free will is when you deliberate. And love is deliberate. It's, it's when you deliberate to not devise wicked schemes, but to plan good things. You're exercising your free will when you deliberately do something. And, and to love God, the way to love God is your free will. You take the, the option that you could have not to do it, not to love God, to have haughty eyes, to have a lying tongue, to uh, you know, cause division or whatever it is, but you purposely plan things to bring unity. That's what it means to love God. That's how you love God. It's not just by singing and telling them how much you love them or telling somebody else. It's, by, it's a deliberate act of your free will. It's deliberate to love God. How do you love God? You're deliberate about it. You deliberate about it. 
It's not involuntary choices. It's choices you have made in life that will base, that will bring uh, uh, life and, and free will. Love is a choice. It's deliberate. So how do you love God? You love God by planning good, deliberating about it, thinking about it. Number five, feet that are quick to rush into evil. You know, there is a lot of evil stuff going down in the world right now, and we know that. And a lot of it's on those little devices. And so many people are so quick to get on there, catch up on the latest gossip, the bad news about some Christian person's fallen or whatever. Pornography would be on that as well. There's so much on those little devices that we're quick to run into it, to, to find out about it, to look at it. I have purposely slowed it down. In fact, I've made some of it impossible by putting safeguards on there that I couldn't if I wanted to. Because I don't want to be one that is quick to running to evil. And the way to not be quick to run to evil is put some safeguards in your life, for goodness sakes, to slow you down at least, or to make it impossible for you to, to, to run to evil. So the opposite of that is somebody that loves fleeing from evil. How do you love God? That's our question. Remember that. How do you love God? You love God by being quick, by fleeing from evil. And there's ways to do that. I encourage you, if you're quick and you find yourself falling into evil things very quickly, then, man, you know, put some safeguards. There's so many of them. There's net nannies. There's all kinds of things that, so that you can't look at things. There's, there's ways, there's safeguards with friends and your, and your family here, accountability, so that you can't do that. Giving somebody permission. You know, if I start gossiping again, could you just pull me up on that? If I start bringing an evil report, can you, just, can you just challenge me? I don't want to be working against God. I want to love God, and this is how you love God. Number six, a false witness who pours out lies. We've already talked about lying, and this is not the same thing. But a false witness, you think about perjury. Perjury is a crime. In fact, perjury is a big crime. If you are a witness in a court of law and you knowingly give a false witness and somebody goes to jail or something like that, they're going to pay a big price because of your false testimony, your false witness. That, that perjury, perjuring yourself, is usually imprisonment or punishment uh, uh, for doing that crime. It's a big thing. And the fact is that as Christians, when we say that we represent one person but we do something totally the opposite. In fact, that word hypocrite comes up. No, nobody likes a hypocrite. It's somebody that pours out lies. It's not like, gee, I'm so sorry. I, I, you know, I, I told a little white lie, which there is no such thing again. But you know, I wasn't quite accurate on that. I said that there were 10 people saved and there was five. I, I don't know, whatever. It, it, there's a big difference between pouring that out. There's a big difference between misrepresenting God pretending like you're something, but you're not. There's a big difference, and nobody likes hypocrisy. Everybody respects somebody, at least, that, you know, that, that walks in the truth. When you live a life that's different from who you claim to be, you are a false witness. Listen to 1 John 4, 19. Again, this is John, the beloved, the one who Jesus loved. 
We love because he first loved us. Isn't that amazing? The ability to love comes from him in the beginning. Verse 20, here it is. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. <laughs> oh, gosh. If you're here right now, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you. Man, I can't, that's that person. I'll tell you what, you know, my God just, I can't, you know, me and Max, I hate him. You're a liar. Say you love God all you want. You're a liar. I didn't write it. I mean, John the beloved, the, the disciple, the, the love disciple says, You're a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, again, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. Verse 21. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must, must also love their brother and sister. You can't even put that in neutral and get away with that. You've got to love them. You've got to be active uh, in that. You've got to be purposeful in, in, in that whole thing. How do we, we love God? You love God by living true to God. Being the genuine thing, not being a false witness. Number seven, we're almost finished here. Number seven, man, any person who stirs up dissension among brothers or sisters. That's disunity. In fact, it really condenses a lot of this all together. God loves it when you unify, when you bring unity, when you have every opportunity to go ahead and side with something that's going to bring disunity. When you have every opportunity, in fact, rightfully so sometimes, oh boy, when we're right, and it's true, and I'm just going to go ahead, but you don't. You go quite the opposite, and in fact, you don't just bite your tongue, you use your tongue to unify, to forgive. Let's go talk to that person. Let's just deal with this. Not listening to it, walking with them as a companion, and, and fueling that whole thing. But, but bring in unity. God loves it when you bring unity. A person that caused divisions, they split churches, they cause divorces, they cause people to leave, break up friendships, ruin relationships, bring strife anywhere they can find themselves. They stir up dissension. It's done with malice and, and purpose to do harm. Listen to what Paul says here. And, and look at the same sentence to the Corinthians that he uses with dissension here. Look at what he lumps this word dissension here that, that uh, number seven is talking about. Listen to this, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 19. This is where you're, you're in there. We've got, you know, next door we've got a psychic or a, we get, we get psychic conventions, we get all kinds of things, you know. Oh, it's evil. Okay, I get it. But listen to what else is just as evil. It's right in there with it. Paul says this. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition. These are almost the seven things we've been talking about, a lot of it. And look at this one. Dissensions, factions. Paul mentions them right in there with idolatry and witchcraft. And, and, and selfish ambition is dissensions and factions. How serious is it to cause division in the body of Christ? Well, just, just, just think about for a moment, the bride's coming down the aisle, and we are the bride of Christ. 
And she's coming out of the oven, her dress is all mangled. It's filthy, like she'd been rolling around the ground or something like that. She's got blood pouring down her nose, hair's all disheveled, and here she comes, here comes the bride. She's walking down the aisle, and you see her. It's like, what happened to her? And somebody that knows, they go, yeah, that's the bride. She's been fighting with herself again, self-harming. See, we are the bride. How beautiful we look to that world out there, how beautiful we look to each other, no matter how much we sing about God. Everything that I've talked about, these seven things here, God hates, but God loves it when we do the opposite. We are either beautifying his bride or we are making her look really ugly so that the people next door at the psychic convention or the metaphysical, whatever they're into, are going to go, why would I be part of that? I know some of those people. <laughs> you know, why, why would I do that? They sing a lot of great songs are written about how much we love God. But the outside church thinks, here comes the bride of Christ. Looks like she's been fighting with herself again. God loves unity. How, how do you love God? You love God by bringing unity to his bride, to his body, to the church, to this church and every other church. How do you love God? Verse uh, four, uh, chapter 14 of John, listen to this. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. For the one who loves me will not be loved by my father, uh, will be loved, brother, by my father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, we will come to them and make our home with them. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. I'd like us to stand. Still with me this morning? Yeah. It's awfully quiet in this church. Thinking about it good. Man, I love Jesus. And I love you. I'd like to think that even people that don't love me that got offended, and there's been a, probably thousands, 30-something <laughs> years of ministry, I don't walk across the road from any of them. There was a woman many years ago, and you don't know her, so I'm not worried about her. I'm not going to mention her name either out of respect, but she caused division, an older woman, and it's pretty bad. I had to forgive her. You know, as usual, when you do those seven things, there's always casualties. People leave. I heard that she had cancer. She was dying real close to death. I'd forgiven her. God said, I want you to go visit her and bring communion. I'm like, whoa. So I got permission from the family. I went to visit her. It was the last day she was alive. I brought the bread and the wine. Jesus and a wafer. <laughs> Body of Christ. I talked to her. She couldn't talk back. She was literally 
breathing her last. And I thought to myself, reading that list and knowing what I know, I thought, I can't leave her go into eternity and take a chance that I might not see her in heaven because it's pretty serious business, re really serious business. Like, I thought, I just want to pray for her. So I said to her, I called my name and I said, uh, there's no condemnation at all, but I said, I've forgiven you what you did. I said, if, if you want to receive that forgiveness, be reconciled right now. She couldn't even eat the communion. Like I had to actually take the juice and put it on her tongue and she couldn't swallow the, the bread the wafer. That's how bad it was. But I said, if you want to receive that forgiveness right now, I said, I just want you to squeeze my hand. She squeezed my, my hand so hard. I thought she was runner up to Mr. Universe. Like she just grabbed my hand, squeezed my hand really hard. You know, and I wept. I saw tears coming out of her eyes, even though she hardly any water left. And I thought to myself, this is how serious what we just talked about is when it comes to loving God. You can't see him. You can't buy him anything. He is perfect love. He doesn't need whatever you got, except he needs you to love his, his family. He takes that really seriously. So I'm going to pray right now. If you're watching online, wherever you are, whatever church you belong to, I want to include you in this prayer. And let's just get it right. God wants unity. He wants churches to work together, but God bless our hearts, hey? <laughs> I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that this church and everybody listening, that we're going to pull this off, that we are going to do what just seems to be the hardest of hearts. We're going to walk in love. We're going to love God by loving each other. Amen? So let's just pray together, all right? Father, I just thank you right now. In fact, I'd like you to say this out loud. Say, dear God, dear God forgive me for anything that I've spoken or acted out that's hurt your church. Well, it started off loud with the dear God, then it kind of became a whimper. <laughs> you can go away and reflect on these too. But say this out loud. Dear God, I repent. I ask you to forgive me for anything that hasn't made your bride more beautiful. Jesus, I love you. I love your body. I love your bride. I love your church. I look forward to a beautiful church without spot or wrinkle. Amen and amen. While we're praying right now, I'm going to give you a chance to become part of the body of Christ. If you're here and you have not yet made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, I apologize for anybody that's turned you off to that whole idea. Uh, we are trying. We're going to set things right. Amen. We just prayed about that. If you'll pray this prayer uh, together with me, you can join the, the greatest family, honestly, in the whole universe and be part of the family of heaven. And I, I would love for you to make that decision this morning, wherever you're at. So pray this prayer after me. We'll all pray it together. Dear God, 
I give Jesus my life. Thank you for allowing me to be part of your family. Amen. God bless you guys. Come back next week. Amen. Thank you for listening to the City Church Podcast. If you enjoyed this message or God worked through you in any way, then please take a moment to contact us through our website at city-church.net or email us your feedback at info at city-church.net.